0: Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting-edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. I'm Dr. David, the cutting-edge doc, and here on today's episode, we turn the tables again, and I'm interviewed by the uh, wonderful Alex Hillman. And we go a little bit into my story, but quickly we segue into a deep look at what is transformation, and then we take a look at the question of the ecology of transformation. And by the ecology of transformation, I mean, what are the conditions, both physical and metaphysical, that foster transformation, radical awakening? And then, what are the implications of that kind of transformation or radical awakening for human life, for relationships, groups, organizations, society, and even our
1: planet. So it's a penetrating interview, and enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. My name is Alex Hillman, and I'm thrilled to be back here with Dr. David again. Uh, We got to have a wonderful conversation uh, a, a little while ago And David asked me to come back and have the tables turned uh, because he got to sort of dig into some of who I am and what I do. But I didn't get a chance to find out a whole lot about him and what he does. We had sort of a natural connection between us. So uh, we thought it would be a great idea for me to come back on the show, turn those tables around and spin the interview in sort of the other direction. So uh, it's good to talk to you again, David.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
1: So, you know, when, when we got to speak uh, previously, you got sort of my backstory and we talked a little bit about like really rewinding the clock quite a ways. Uh, and people can go online and sort of get your bio, what you do today. Uh, and, and I want to get to that for the folks who maybe haven't read it before. Um, but I'm actually curious if you could start with a little bit more about how you got into what you do, what brought you to the kind of work that you do and sort of will work Forward from that that backwards direction uh, to what it is that you actually do today and how you do it.
0: Okay, well, get ready for a long answer. So feel <laughs> free to, feel free to feel free to break in at any time. Sounds great. So um, ever since I was really really little, I um, I was interested in what makes people tick why are some people so healthy and so happy and so successful and why are some people so unhealthy and unhappy and unsuccessful and is this by chance or is there some are there some laws that govern these things and uh, you know what what degrees of freedom are built into the system and uh, Another question I had was, well, if there really is a God and God is really a loving God, how come I sense so much suffering? How come if we're God's children, how come God would allow this if God is really loving? And so these were questions that were weighing on my soul even before I could articulate them. The way that I'm articulating them now and um, I also had sort of this the emperor has no clothes on feeling that uh, as I listened to what people talked about children teenagers adults and what they seemed to be interested in and what they focused on and what they spent money on and where their emotional energy was going it seemed to me that people were focusing on things that didn't really make that much of a difference like um it's like the way people would find connection seemed very superficial to me like people would feel more comfortable if they met somebody who went to the same college as them or were born in the same town and to me that was really empty and i had a sense there was something more but i didn't know what it was and i you know i grew up in a family where even though I felt physically safe and I felt some stability and my parents were very supportive of intellectual development. I'm hearing some background noise there, Alex. Okay.
1: You- sorry. I had briefly unmuted. Go, go ahead. I'll keep it muted on my side. Okay.
0: And um, so I'm just getting my train of thought back. So uh, I kind of felt kind of like a stranger in a strange land in the sense that, you know, I felt safe physically. I felt that my parents cared about me. They did the best they could, but they weren't particularly active in any kind of spiritual practice. And I wasn't exposed to any type of holistic or systems worldview when I was a child. Um, and I grew I'm a boomer. I grew up, um, you know, really in a culture that basically was believing that, uh, you know, things were great. And if you played by the rules and, um, you know, you could have a great life. And, uh, more and more, I saw that, uh, there was something that just wasn't quite right here. There was a, there was a, some kind of a, something missing or some kind of a breakdown that was like a secret, like nobody was talking about it. And, uh, so, Um, I was I was a seeker before I even knew that I was a seeker. And I was looking for something. And I I always had a big heart. I always cared about things. And I was a thoughtful person. And uh, you know, a lot of my life, early life, especially 20s, 30s, was about getting satisfactory answers to those questions that were burning in my soul.
1: And that hey, David, I'm wondering, you you had mentioned, you threw out a term, the systems worldview before, which I think is really interesting and, uh, and and actually was one of the first terms that really made a lot of what you just said make sense and also sort of makes, I think, our connection, you and I, make sense. Can you explain and unpack systems worldview a little bit before we go deeper into that?
0: I'll do my best. You know, basically it's the idea that um, that there's... You know, that within within any reality, there are or any set, there are elements to that set, you know, like there are individuals, let's say, if we're talking about the set of humanity, there are, you know, and there are obviously sets beyond that. And sets are nested within other sets, like, you know, we have bodies and we have systems and organs and cells and organelles and the, the system's view of life is basically that within a set you have elements and then you have connections among these elements and that in that way everything is related to everything it's like an ecological view of reality so it's looking at uh, elements of a set uh, you could think of it maybe as nodes and then you're looking at connections and in a system's view of life we look at What are the elements and what are the connections and what are the relationships and what are the critical elements? uh, How can we interact with that system in a way to to impact it? And there's been a lot of Nobel Prize winning work done to study how systems uh, react when they're challenged or put under stress. And a lot of work done on the relationship between closed systems and living systems, which are more open in terms of the exchange of energy and information. And that way of looking at life and that way of looking at individuals um, and relationships or any level that you want to investigate something is very powerful. Uh, It's used all the time um, and it has impacted life in many ways for human beings, and um, it turns out that in terms of um, what's going on now in society, in terms of the breakdowns that are occurring, say, in people's spiritual life or uh, our society or our health, it turns out that this system's way of looking at our challenges is an opening to conversations and questions and solutions that would be very unlikely to have opened up if we weren't looking at things systemically.
1: So so with these systems being, I mean, they're, they're all around us all the time is what you're saying here. And what it takes is some degree of, of practice and understanding and skill combined, I imagine, to actually start to be able to see those things that are right under our nose. Is that fair to say? Well, it's
0: a way of looking you know, the system, a system's view is a way of looking at reality and it's just one way of looking at reality. And like any way of looking at reality, it highlights some aspects of reality and is blind to other aspects of reality. But the thing about the system's worldview is that it, it limits, I think the blind spots and it, um, and it, it provides a, a rigor and a focus, but at the same time, it provides an openness to possibilities that um, the Western mind may have been closed to for quite a while. So it's, it, 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 it's open in that kind of way, but it also allows for a lot of intellectual rigor and it can be applied at any level of examining reality. And that makes it very, very powerful. And, um, and, and, and I want to address this idea about nested layers of systems. Like, for example, an individual can be looked at as a system, and then we could look at the elements within that system. But then we could also look at as an individual as a node within a larger system, like a family system or the system of a group or an organization or even a community. And so it allows a flexibility of perception and perspective where you can realize that it's almost like a logic of wholes, W-H-O-L-E-S, where we can see that everything has its own beingness, has its own existence, its own unique identity, and at the same time, it's part of a larger uh, thing that's happening. And to be able to be with that paradox, uh, I find extremely enjoyable and extremely useful and powerful.
1: Um, I'm really glad we, we followed that path, because we're, we're talking about two things that I'm endlessly fascinated by. Uh, Worldviews in general, just as an understanding and a study and an awareness, are so powerful. When when you look at whether it's a conflict between two people or two groups of people that, uh, that seems unwinnable, there's almost always a, a worldview at play. And it, it's it's something so interesting that by, by exactly what you said, by nature of what a worldview is, it opens up understanding. Your worldview opens up some perception uh, and also has the ability to Sort of block out others. So this is a really interesting thing to to grow in practice and be be aware of. The other thing that you're talking about, this sort of that nested holes, I like that that reference. Uh, when I when I think about it, I, I like the term fractals, um, sort of from from science and mathematics, which is essentially the exact same thing. It's patterns and shapes that nest within one another. And what's awesome about them, and and what you were just describing as that paradox, is uh, is being a part of something individual and whole at the same time, I think, is something that is. I mean, it's it's more than just a human thing. I think humans naturally crave an understanding of who I am as self, but also who I am as part of a community uh, or, or whatever it is that I belong to. And when one of those things is sort of out of whack, do do you sense that uh, you know having all of one but not the other cre- creates issues and problems for people?
0: Well, I mean, a lot of human history can be looked at as a dialectic between the uh, the rights of the individual and the the health of the group, and you know, a lot of a lot of the polarities we have in our world today, you know, are a reflection and expression of that. And what's so exciting to me is that the systems view, combined with uh, an openness to spirituality, and in the sense of oneness and unity opens up a possibility where that, uh, that tension is resolved and not just compromised, where, where, where we can get to a place where when we absolutely honor who we are as individuals, we honor the collective. And when we absolutely honor the collective, we absolutely honor who we are as individuals. That possibility, standing for that possibility and really being Um, committedly living, that possibility to me is the doorway to workable solutions to all of our major personal and collective challenges that we face today. And
1: because without that uh, with that sort of living and in trueness to both both self and the collective, one's always sort of tensely pulling at the other. I uh, always feel like it's it's sort of a trade off, um, or or there's some sort of resistance. That sort of alignment that you describe is really where where that possibility, where things start feeling like, oh, this is how it's supposed to go. This is this is what I wanted to happen. Why was this difficult before, um, but but not so much now. Um, I would love David for you to break down what spirituality means to you because it's, it's a really interesting uh, and, and sometimes polarizing uh, thing because it means different things to different people. Uh, and I've had my own journey uh, through spirituality with and without. So what does what does spirituality mean to you and, and where does that factor into all of these? systems conversations we're having, because those two things don't sound like they would be naturally complementary, but it sounds like in, in your world that they absolutely are.
0: Absolutely. They're, uh, I think a systems view without uh, an openness to spirituality ends up being very dry and very heady and very computer-like, and uh, there's, a, there's a heart and a vitality that needs to go along with that uh, intellectual frame to really bring it to life, and, um, or, or else we just perpetuate the limitations of the thinking mind. Um, you know, the best definition of spirituality I've ever heard was about 30 years ago or so, maybe a little more, Uh, from a spiritual teacher named Lazarus. And his definition of spirituality, our spirituality is our relationship with God, God goddess, all that is. So his definition was our spirituality is our relationship with God, God goddess, all that is. And um, that sounds simple, but if you really ponder that, um, to me, I found it to be a very workable, powerful, uh, framework from which to, um, which to explore. Um, so we can take, we can go deeper into that. Uh, you know, feel free to ask me any specific questions about that, but, um,
1: yeah, I think that you know, the because the, there's, I mean, that's another another example of sort of of a nestedness. Um, so you know, what are what are the layers of that spirituality as you describe it, You know, and what is, you know, you can give. I think it would be best if if we rather than have it in an abstract um, sort of concept, like concrete examples of that relationship in practice. I think would be really interesting to hear.
0: Well, you know, I think the hallmark of anyone who is spiritually realized to a significant extent is that there's a natural compassion and a natural intelligence and a natural simplicity of essence that begins to emerge in the expression of that individual's life. And and it's something that when you're in the presence of it, if you're open to it, um, you can't help but be impacted by by an immediacy and a poignancy that brings you into present time awareness. And when you really surrender to to that, um, one's relationship to the thinking mind. Um, there's some transformation that occurs in relationship to one's personal psychology and in relationship particularly to the thinking mind and as well in relation to emotions and in relation to time and space and in relation to all things that are finite that really permanently alters you, uh, how you occur for yourself and how life occurs for you. Um, you know, it's what this—it's what all the spiritual teachers throughout eternity have been pointing at. But um, for most people on this planet in recent recorded history, at least over the last couple of thousand years, the the conditions—the the ripe conditions that allow large numbers of people to really profoundly awaken from this limited consciousness that all the spiritual teachers have talked about forever. Um, These conditions have only existed in uh, very limited degree. You know, if you study kind of the history of spiritual teaching, for a long time it was underground or small numbers of people uh, had to sequester themselves in very structured environments away from society and uh, in in, in, in years and years of, of, of complete uh, almost divorcing themselves from a normal human life in order to even begin to tap into the reality of these possibilities. And so what's so exciting today is that um, due to a lot of factors, some of them cosmic and galactic factors, some of them social factors some of them physical factors due to a a constellation of things happening now this is really i would say ever since the 70s there's really a new possibility here on the planet for large numbers of people to um, realize a much more profound level of spirituality of who they really are and um, i think my life has been kind of an object lesson I've been kind of the guinea pig where I've been acutely aware of this process of um, what seems, you know, I've had the privilege of working with thousands of people on very deep levels. So I've, I'm, I'm sort of like the guinea pig that's been able to study what conditions seem to foster this kind of awakening. And once people awaken, what Uh, are the implications of that awakening and what can we do proactively as individuals and society to foster both the conditions for awakening and once people awaken to this critical level uh, what we can do to um, maximize the flow of natural life energy and contribution that wants to naturally emerge from that awakening and you know, it took me a long time to get enough objectivity in terms of my own life to realize that that is what my life is about. And uh, you know, I've been the, I've been kind of like the, uh, the, the the student that has been immersed in this so that I can teach it. And uh, and what I've come to is that, uh, it, it's it's in many ways a complex. Uh, process because there are physical elements to this, but there are also metaphysical elements to this. In other words, for most people, if they just keep drinking Diet Pepsi and eating Hostess Twinkies, and um, and, and 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 breathing the way they breathe, and drinking the water that they drink, and um, wearing the kind of clothes they wear, and washing their clothes with the kind of detergents they use, there's going to be such physical distortion in their physical and energetic field that that will really limit the possibility of this kind of awakening. So there's definitely a physical aspect to it. For example, genetically modified foods completely distort the natural uh, human energy field. So there's a good example of how there's physical aspects to addressing this issue. And at the same time, there's also an enormous metaphysical uh, domain in terms of addressing this issue in terms of uh, generosity, forgiveness, openness to looking at things in a new way. And we could go on and on and on and on. And so I think um, what's new about the new spirituality is that it includes the physical And it includes the energetic dimensions as well as all the metaphysical dimensions and collapses that duality between spirit and matter. And so a lot of the old spiritual literature and teachings existed in a time when the physical body was not under the assault that it's under now. And so a lot of the teachings need to be updated to account for the unique challenges and opportunities that we face today. And so I see my work as kind of the, I'm kind of like a mouthpiece and an example of the current version of the perennial philosophy.
1: That's super, super interesting. One of the sort of themes that emerged to me and and a lot of the examples you just gave is sort of the difference between, I guess, like additive versus subtractive process. So – I think it's a lot of people when they're looking for whether they're looking acutely for spirituality or something like it, they're looking to add something to their life, whether it's those connections uh, or or understandings or new new products or healthier food, whatever it might be. But what's interesting is in in all of the successful examples you gave, it actually seemed like the first and maybe most important step was more about removing something, taking something that didn't belong there and getting back to sort of a, a natural state uh, where you know whether it's removing distractions, removing uh, alterations to the food or chemicals, whether it's uh, you know removing barriers to listen and understand and communicate. Uh, how, how do you actually? help someone see that difference that it's not that you're looking to add something in but actually you know and the best example was when you were saying that you know a lot a lot of the, the spiritual teachers needed to go far away from real from like sort of the human reality to sort of you know as you would imagine monks in a monastery not even speaking to each other without necessarily going to that extreme how do you help someone understand that a lot of that centering that you're looking for is actually about sort of like peeling away layers of the onion and getting to something much simpler so that you can see more clearly.
0: Well, some of it comes from the natural knowingness that I presence because of my own process. But in terms of what I would say to somebody is I just let people know up front what my fundamental assumptions are. And one of my fundamental assumptions is that there is this fundamental unity to existence, to reality, that simply is. It's not our job as human beings to create unity. I think if you try as a human being to create unity or to try to create things that have already been created, like if you try to create unity or you try to create love, you're going to become very frustrated because there are certain things human beings can create, but there are certain things that are already been given that are already part and parcel of reality or of your, of your own nature, your own true nature. And so where I come from is a knowingness that unity already exists and that love already exists and that love is who we are. And so you know, beginnings are very delicate times. And so if you come from inaccurate uh, assumptions, presuppositions, you're going to limit your experience and what you can learn. And so this is a very important place to come from that opens up the kind of awareness that you're pointing to is Uh, And someone has to take it on faith in the beginning, because they don't know it yet. And so part of the role of the teacher is to be a living example of the presence of this possibility. So I think it's a combination of the power of my presence combined with being very clear with people who want to talk at this level about this, about exactly where I'm coming from, and that as we remove the blockages to the awareness of unity, to the awareness of natural intelligence, to the awareness of love's presence, that um, there'll be a very natural, unforced, but yet very dynamic, unfolding process, the way a seed unfolds into a tree with the right set and setting. But an oak tree, no matter what, an acorn seed, no matter what the set and setting will always and only become an oak tree. In other words, it has its own nature. And in that same way, you as an individual, Alex, you have your own nature. And there's a lot of degrees of freedom within that nature. And, you know, there's a divine design there. And even though there are, there's a lot of degrees of freedom within that design. And so My view, and which I share, is that that's a design to be uncovered and discovered and explored and unfolded and expressed. But that's not something you discover from some abstract thinking mind place. It's you use the
1: mind, but you use the mind to go beyond the mind. So when we started, actually before we started this call, you had expl- started explaining to me the idea of an ecology of transformation, uh, and it sounds like we've already talked about some of the components of that, whether it's the presence of, of a teacher like yourself uh, or um, you know, the absence of other distractions in the world uh, and just a willingness and, and a faith perhaps. Take me through that that process of, and help me understand what uh, that ecology of transformation actually looks like. Maybe we start by defining transformation in the context of the things that we've been talking about so far.
0: Okay, and I'm going to need you to kind of chunk down that question because that is such a huge question that my mind just goes on tilt. But let me get started with kind of a working definition for this conversation of transformation and then maybe you'd be kind enough to chunk down your questions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Start with transformation and then we can we can break things down from there.
0: Okay. So um, those of us that were born in the western world in, you know, over the last 50-75 years, we we were we entered into not only a physical reality, but we also that had physical forces. But we also entered into a collective cultural reality that has forces that are just as real, even though we might not be able to touch them, they're just as real in terms of impact. And um, I like to use the word thrown, like we were thrown to be a particular way, just by being born into this culture. Um, and, and, And the way we were thrown to be is we were thrown to be that, we are separate. And we were thrown to be that we were this thing that's being impacted by all these forces, external forces, internal forces. And somehow we have to negotiate this never-ending survival threat. And somehow uh, through being clever and being strong and figuring out how the game works, we survive and we win the game. And we know that Other people will have to lose the game because there's a scarcity of resources to go around. And the whole system, science of economics, was based on that assumption of scarcity, which justified all sorts of behavior. And we were thrown to be that way. And it's not that we even thought about that. You know, most human beings just go through life and they get what they get and they make up stories about why it is the way it is. But that's the way we're thrown. And and that impacts us whether we even think about it or not. And so what I've discovered is that this way of being that we're thrown, where we're this thing, we're this point, we're this position among competing among other things, and that we're at the effect of this combination of internal forces like Freud postulated and um, external forces like uh, all sorts of social theorists talk about. This is just the way we were thrown. And we take it for granted that that's what it is to be a human being. That's what being is. And um, what I mean by transformation is that somehow, sometimes gradually, sometimes radically, that way of being is questioned in a very radical way to the point where someone opens up, not just intellectually, but at the heart and at a cellular level, really opens up to the possibility that, that is just one way of being. That is just one way of looking at life and one way of living and that it it solves certain problems, but it creates other problems and that we're at a point in society where the problems that it creates cannot be solved if we continue to be that way, if we continue to be in that throneness. And so um, when that's radically questioned, there's a possibility of opening up to another way of being that to me is a much more natural, unconditioned way of being, not the way we're thrown, not a way of being that is a function of our conditioning and our culture, but a way of being that is senior to all of that, 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 that is an expression of that fundamental underlying unity that all the spiritual teachers and all the quantum physicists are pointing to and even though we can never completely define that mystery we definitely can we definitely can know it like be one with it and we definitely can see and sense signs of when a being is being in that natural kind of innocent, maybe Jesus would have talked about it as an innocence, an innocent perception, that innocent kind of way that paradoxically allows access to tremendous wisdom and power. And so what I mean by transformation is that awakening, not just like an intellectual idea, but that awakening to like, hey, this is really, this is really real here that i've been defining myself in this positional way but that's just one way of declaring yourself to be or being thrown to be that way that there's this fundamental ground of being that is much that is unadulterated and it expresses itself through time and space and through personality and 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 culture and psychology and technology and uh, and a particular planet, a particular, uh, 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 time and space, but it's not defined by that. And, 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 and having a knowingness of that and your oneness with that, that's what I mean by transformation. And what I mean by the ecology of transformation is that even though you can't make that happen, like you can't, Force that to happen. You can be like a good gardener, where a gardener can't make something happen, but a gardener can create the conditions, the physical and metaphysical set and setting that increases the likelihood that this kind of beautiful garden can emerge. And there are, that opens up powerful questions about what physical and metaphysical conditions foster that kind of transformation and also brings up really powerful questions like once there is once one is transformed in that way and once there's a critical mass of transformed individuals in a system what are the implications of that for human life for all aspects of human life everything from how we speak to each other to sexual relationships, to values, to social policy, to how decisions are made, to education, religion. Um, It it has enormous implications. And I think that um, there are thousands of well-meaning people that are looking at parts of this picture, trying to help trying to uplift humanity, trying to do the best they can. But without this overarching, you might call it a systems view. I'm open to different ways of describing it. But without this bigger context of understanding and knowingness of what's really going on here, I think we limit both our enjoyment of the process and our capacity to consciously participate. In so, the process.
1: One of the things that I loved about the, the way you described the, the conditions, the gardening metaphor is one that's really resonant with me. Uh, and for those of you who hadn't had a chance to, to listen to my and David's conversation prior to this one. Uh, my background's in community building and community development and it's a lot of the exact same process where people attempt to build community as if you can simply put community in a pressure cooker and therefore community will come out where the process is much more more, uh, more of a soft touch it's uh it's about facilitating and a lot more about observing, listening, and removing barriers for people to have the conversations that they would naturally have if their defaults, as you've been saying, the way they were thrown, the way they they normally expect to, and and sort of, I think defaults and their habits also uh, that, that people build over time and are learned, can be unlearned. So the the con- the conditions you're talking about. I am and In my experience with community building, it is a mix of purely environmental conditions that you can simply observe and get yourself closer to as well as other things that you can design for since like you said, you can plant the seed. You can make sure that there's not a tree blocking the sunlight or, or a building blocking the sunlight perhaps. You can make sure that the the seed gets water and has nutrients from the soil but ultimately the seed needs to do the growing. Right. That's that's sort of the the point of that whole metaphor, correct?
0: That's definitely a part of that metaphor. I mean, that metaphor has
1: a lot of elements, but that's certainly part of it. So what other conditions are are there, both conditions that you can actively participate in um, and also maybe that you can seek out to make this kind of awakening possible? Uh, What what is it? What role can can you play to to make that even happen
0: well i think first of all you need a really really sincere desire to have a richer life to to um you really you know this doesn't happen without a strong
1: desire you know you don't just go along in life and this happens to you it's and fun. it's an in, and it's an intrinsic desire. Like some, that when you say desire, because I think a lot of people want things outside of themselves. I think when it comes from from inside, you know, it, it's sort of in yeah. in my my view, it's you know, sort of a variation of that could be a curiosity. Um, it, it, the difference between a need, actually, how do you define the difference between a need and a desire? Is there a difference?
0: I mean, we we could get into a semantic conversation there, but my point is that. There has to be a passion, you know, whether it's because you are suffering so much and you want to understand the roots of your suffering and feel better, or because you have a vision of possibility that is compelling. You know, this isn't something that, you know, you, you, this is like breaking orbit. This is like, to use the analogy of a rocket ship uh, wanting to break through the atmosphere, that doesn't happen willy nilly. There has to be a lot of focused energy and fire and intention. Uh, and this doesn't just happen like that. And so, um, you know, to me, when I look at the people that really are living quite a realized life and I've come to know them or I've come to know myself. And I'm a modeler and I like to model systems and look for patterns as opposed to idiosyncrasies. And one of the patterns that I see very common in these people, including myself, is that there, even if it wasn't well formed, that it from fairly early in life, there was some uh, passion, even if it was denied. There was some passion to know, to understand life more deeply, to know the truth of things beyond explanation and theory, to have direct knowing, to really understand something intimately and profoundly in, in a way where that, that that itch had to be scratched. It just couldn't be denied. And um, you might talk about it as an old soul, as opposed to a young soul. But in my experience, in the evolution of a soul, of a human soul, there comes a point, you could think of it as a lifetime, but there comes a point where that desire, that true desire for life or for consciousness, for awareness to know itself, emerges in a way that if you just don't honor that emergence Uh, you just don't want to live anymore. Your life just, you don't, there's no point. And and you can't make that happen for somebody. So I think that's something that is glossed over a lot of times in this discussion is you got to get the right people on the bus. And then there's a lot of things we can do, but you can't make somebody have that kind of burning desire. You know, the the best way I can say it is to tell a story that um, one of the great spiritual teachers of our time was Paramahansa Yogananda. He was one of the first Hindu yogis to committedly come to the West to share that spiritual path. And there's a story about one of his disciples who was having an audience with him. And he was saying to the master, Gosh, you know, the spiritual path is so tough. I mean, I'm becoming aware of all of these patterns, mechanicalness, pettiness, uh, all my addictions. You know, it's so hard. You know, how do you keep going? What, you know, what keeps you in the game? I just feel like quitting. And there was a pregnant pause. And then the master said, after quite a bit of thoughtful deliberation, he basically said to the disciple, you know, I really hear you. You know, I think the only difference between you and me is that there's something else I want more.
1: So, you know, I think there's something in there about the, the thing that you want, the thing that you desire, as you were describing before, is not a, this is not a near term goal. This is not a, um, it's not a I guess maybe the, the, the difference between a near term goal and a long term goal is even bigger than a long term goal in that you are very unlikely to achieve it in its entirety uh, in 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 maybe any span of time. So it's yeah, a thing you're always even, you're always working towards. Is that right? Yeah. It even
0: go, but well, there's a paradox. There's a paradox there that is really fascinating. What's that? And, and that is on one hand, it's never ending. In other words, there's always, you can always express a greater glory of life. Life is infinite and therefore it unfolds forever. However, or paradoxically, or in addition, life is always fully, completely itself in every moment.
1: That is an interesting paradox. So there's there's the need to, uh, I guess maybe in in order to continually pursue the ability to also pause in the moment and fully appreciate everything that already is. It's more profound than that. It's even deeper than
0: that. It's like it's like the steps of getting there are the qualities of being there and the qualities of being there are the steps of getting there whoa that's that's pretty wild so you know just <laughs> just just stop for a minute and take a couple of deep breaths and let that in the the steps of getting there are the qualities of being there and the qualities of being there are the steps of getting there
1: That's uh yeah, that's that's a lot to take in.
0: so it collapses that duality. that duality is part of our throneness and and a realized being has transcended that apparent
1: duality. So what happens with like when you achieve that transcendence, that transformation? Like uh, you described it before as sort of waking up. Um, so I'm imagining sort of a, a physical version of this process where whether it's, you know, my my I could not see something. Now I see. Now I understand. Now I I I more fully am. What? Yeah, it's like what? I'm lost and now I'm found. It's like right. That. So, so what changes and what are the implications of that change? Well, nothing changes. <laughs> and, and and at the same time everything right that's is, the, is the fascinating part
0: <laughs> that's that's the thing is nothing wow. nothing changes but you you change no thing nothing changes okay nothing so, changes that's the, that's the, that's the paradox is that nothing changes everything just be everything is allowed to be what it truly is
1: I see. Nothing changes. Wow. So in 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 that where everything is allowed to be, again, sort of I guess I'll ask the question in, in a slightly different way is what are the implications of that for – and I imagine it goes in, in a multitude of directions for the, the individual and since it's sort of nested holes, whatever it is that they, they belong to, their community or, 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 or so on.
0: Well, that's what where I'm they, talking about. That's what I mean by the ecology of transformation. What what that's the second part of what I mentioned is once you, you know, once you have this awareness, what are the implications of that? And you know, one of the things that is just uh, wonderful is that one of the things you discover when you stop trying to change things and make things happen. One of the things you discover when you allow things to be as they are. That there's a natural dynamism to life that has its own intelligence and has its own rhythm and its own nature. And even your own sense of individuality and your own consciousness is part of that dynamism, is is, is unified, is an expression of unity. So it's the realization that everything you see, everything you think, everything you feel at some level because of unity, and there's no fine print in unity, is an expression of unity. And so the whole dualistic argument collapses, and yet there is this appreciation of uniqueness, of individuality, of distinctions, of timing, and it's, it's, it's profound.
1: Where is an example of uh, – a concrete example of sort of uh, maybe a, a broad need for this the most? Maybe another way to ask that is – and I, I know that like the, uh, the ideal outcome would be that everyone is able to sort of access this. Um, and I, but I feel like – and maybe I'm wrong in feeling this. We need to start somewhere. So I, maybe I'm I'm seeking a starting point in, in all of this um, for 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 myself, or, or even you know maybe a completely different way of asking this, you know what was a starting point for you? You mentioned when you were much younger, you had sort of an an, an intuition um, to, to to question that things weren't quite as as they seemed. Where was a starting point for you to actually take that uh, take take that on? and and start opening up to it
0: well i had this i had this profound commitment even before i could formulate the questions i had this profound commitment to find satisfactory answers to those questions that was that was how unity was
1: expressing in and through and as me and so is your, your fundamental curiosity and, and need to both ask the question and find satisfaction in an answer is, is a place to start?
0: Well, this is what I was getting at earlier. There needs to be some passion behind this whole thing. It's not something like if you're just intellectually curious about this and you don't get any farther, the odds of transformation showing up for you are really low. You know, so it's it. But by, by the time your thinking mind uh, is consciously considering the kinds of things we're considering in this conversation, there's a lot of things that have been going on on other levels for a long time before it consciously begins to register. Like if somebody's listening to this conversation and they're getting really turned on by it. Believe me, there's a lot of the process that is leading to your excitement about this conversation has antecedents that go back a long time. You know, like if you go back to when you were like five years old, unless you were like really abused as a child. But assuming in this example, you weren't really abused as a child, and you go back to when you were five years old, and you ask yourself, what did you just enjoy? You know, what people, places, ideas, activities, did you just have a natural affinity for? And you start to open up at that level, you'll realize that there's a lot of things going on, you know, that dynamism that that life is. That unity that expresses dynamically through your person, through your individuality, through your growth, through your consciousness, through your maturation, that's at work long before you have any conscious awareness that it's at work. And, you know, one of the ways that unity expresses itself is as this conscious awareness of unity. But before that conscious awareness emerges unity is already and always dynamically at work and so it's a matter of honoring this dynamism that already exists and noticing how it's wanting to show up in you and through you and as you and one of the ways sooner or later maybe not in this life but one of the ways it'll show up sooner or later. Is as a genuine, passionate curiosity to know who you really are and to know what life really is beyond theory, beyond explanation, and it'll naturally emerge. It'll naturally unfold, and it can look different ways. You know, it gets catalyzed for different ways in different people. You know, for some people, it's a mother who um, who's holding her newborn baby and realizes that her life is about something bigger than it was ever about before. You know, It, it life will not be denied. Life will eventually uh, unfold itself sooner or later. All roads lead to Rome.
1: So wow this, this has been a fascinating conversation a lot of a lot of things that I'll be candid have been really challenging for me uh, so I really appreciate that a lot someone who I, I really do uh, go I feel like and, and I, I do actively try to go out of my way to to understand and explore um, and and sort of fully appreciate what's going on around me w- without feeling like I need to act on it. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you can share, uh, a, an element of active practice and a couple of thing, a thing. And the reason I'm asking this is you've said a couple of times about, uh, about noticing, uh, and about noticing that, that, that unity and that oneness. Is there a practice that I can do or a practice that you do or a practice that listeners can do to get to get a feel for that. Is there an action that can be taken here or is that, is that going in the completely wrong direction?
0: Well, there are practices that you can practice and if you're practicing them um, with an openness and you're not giving your power away to the recipe, I think there's a lot of things that can be helpful. Like for example, one thing you can do is to begin to question uh, where you end
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: You know, Uh, like, do you end at your skin? And if you do end at your skin, how do you know that you end at your skin? So you can begin to question your spatial boundaries. Because it turns out, it turns out that your imagery of your spatial boundaries, of where you end it turns out that that's just a concept. It turns out that that's just an image in the mind. So one practice you could do is to ask yourself, where is my boundary? Where do I, where is the boundary of me as opposed to not me? And how do I know that that boundary is accurate?
1: That's such a fascinating question. And something that I'm looking forward to spending some time with myself.
0: But there are thousands of questions you could ask that would ultimately lead you to the same place. Again, we're using the mind in this example. We're using the mind to challenge itself and to go beyond the mind. And that is a form of yoga that has existed for thousands of years. And there are thousands of questions that will ultimately blow the mind. And that's what has to happen. You know, the, the you that you are that you are. Eventually, has to get blown.
1: i I'm so interested in the 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 research and study that you've put into all of this. And as we wrap up this conversation today for us and for the listeners, um, uh, is there a, a teacher that you or a couple of teachers, perhaps, that you've learned the most from? Uh, over the years in, in trying to un- understand and, and practice all of these things, uh, whether it's you know a, a particular a, a book or a writing or something along those lines Where, uh, where could I go to I don't want to say to go to read more because that suggests that the only way to do that is to read. But if I wanted to do more research and understand this, what are, what's it, one like one of your favorite things to send people to?
0: Well, you know, those are different questions. You know, you asked me a bunch of questions. Um, You know, the way I would answer some of your questions there would be different than the way I would answer some of the other questions that you asked me. Like you asked me about my own personal journey and my influences. And then you asked me if someone today was interested in learning more, what are some resources
1: I would suggest? They're not necessarily the same. That's great. So let's start with the first one in terms of resources that have had the most influence on you, resources, people, writings, whatever that might be.
0: Well, I would say I've had two main spiritual teachers and then many others that have influenced me very powerfully. But I would say my two main spiritual teachers have been Yeshua or known in this society as Jesus, Um, really done an in-depth understanding, really done an in-depth investigation of his life and his teaching and what he was standing for and what he was all about, um, that goes way, way beyond the party line. So I would say, you know, that the, the essence of Jesus's teaching and what he was doing, you know, coming to earth to, to anchor a new possibility for human beings and to restore a divine template that had been deeply, deeply adulterated, um, uh, that you know, he to me, he he is the um, living example of human possibility that really inspires me. And then I would say, in terms of being able to access and understand this level of being that he was embodying, and to be able to really wake up from this dream of separation and really opened up the space of transformation for me was my contact in the 1970s and early 80s with Werner Erhard. And uh, so I would say those have been my two main teachers, but I've had a lot of other teachers. Uh, I just wouldn't call them my main two teachers, but I've read thousands and thousands of books and, and, and listened to thousands and thousands of hours of recordings and You know, went through a period where I went, did a lot of classes and really exposed myself to what is out there. But those have been my two seminal teachers in terms of something that's user friendly, easily accessible, inexpensive. um, uh, There's a woman that I really like who um, who writes about deep spiritual things in a way that's very easy for most people in our culture to understand And that's a woman named Gina Lake. And I interviewed her in episode number two. And, you know, if you have internet access for $4.99, you can go to Amazon.com. And you can look up uh, uh, the Jesus Trilogy by Gina Lake. And what she did was she took three of her books and she bundled them together and is virtually giving them away for $4.99. And those three books are written in very plain English, but they point at the same reality that I'm pointing at in this conversation with Alex. And that's where I would send people because it's only $4.99. And it's written in very plain English. And it's very easy. And then the other thing is that there's really a physical aspect to all of this. In other words, if your physical and and etheric bodies are a mess your ability to even concentrate and be still enough to read those books could be really, really, really limited. And so on the physical end, there's a lot of things you can do, um, that go beyond way beyond the scope of this conversation and have a lot to do with what I do professionally, because I am both a holistic doctor and an ontological coach, um, But I just want to say that the the physical definitely needs to be addressed. I definitely would recommend learning how to breathe properly. I would definitely recommend uh, getting some early morning sun. I would definitely recommend regularly walking barefoot on natural surfaces. I would definitely recommend going non-GMO as much as you possibly can. Uh, Increasing... uh, uh, the presence of plant foods in your diet. And when you eat meat, one of the things you can do that will really help is instead of uh, uh, grain-fed meat, um, have grass-fed meat because uh, it, it, it affects your hormones in a completely different way. I mean, you know, this is a huge whole other topic, but these are a few things that come to my mind. There are a few things you can do on the physical plane And then there are certain things you can do in terms of your metaphysical focus that will definitely get you on the right track. But before we go, one of the things I'm really interested in, and you touched on it a little bit, Alex, is if you could share your experience of being with me this morning and this conversation and maybe talk about to what extent um, it's impact on you is different than most conversations?
1: Yeah, that's a, a really great question. You know, the, the conversations that you and I have had, we've had a ch- chance twice now to speak. Um, and I think what's what's interesting uh, is with a, a great deal of consistency, uh, you've uh, sort of, as you said at the beginning of this conversation, sort of like a challenge of viewpoint. Um, and I'm always fascinated by noticing what viewpoints I already hold, what worldviews I already hold, and the the interesting thing about them is, by nature of them being worldviews, often you don't realize you have them. Um, and that that discussion that we had before, I think probably one of my biggest takeaways, and it's something that I'm I already think about, but just in an entirely new way, is the 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 notion of <laughs> the way you describe that nothing changes uh and that's not w- what is actually the transformation is is not a change i think people without it being a semantic conversation people equate transformation with change and the notion that transformation as you're describing it is more of a a, a almost a complete pause and fully allowing Everything to be at sort of as it is without something else's influence on it, um, I think is a really sort of powerful thing to think about, and and a thing that I'm always interested in is reflecting on when things in my in my life and in my work are working well, why? What are the patterns in in why my best work is my best work, and what are the patterns in when things are are difficult and feel feel resistant? And, and I I get the suspicion that as I think about that more. I'm gonna notice that that being a sort of a, a pattern over time where the the best work is counterintuitively sometime sometimes uh, when I'm allowing things to be the best version of themselves, including myself so um, so yeah I, I, it's a, a lot to take away a lot to think about you you've given me and, and the listeners as well. Um, I just want to thank you for that. And uh, I look forward to us being able to speak again in the future.
0: Alex, I really appreciate it. You know, I I had a strong intuition that it would really work to have you interview me. Uh, A lot of who I am and a lot of what I'm about has to be drawn out by other people. It's like it all exists and I know it, but there's something about what I know that's designed to be released like a time release capsule under certain conditions. And it seems like one of the conditions is somebody like yourself that's in the state of consciousness that you're in with your combination of intelligence and curiosity and vitality and commitment to who you are. And it's in the space of these in-depth conversations that the power of the work really is revealed. And that's part of why, I have the podcast series set up the way it is, as a series of in-depth conversations, because I really do see it like a time-release capsule, kind of like the first Superman, where where all of the information was stored in a crystal, but there had to be a certain conditions for that information to be released. And it, what I'm discovering is that whatever spiritual lineage that I'm a part of, whatever teaching is living in me, it's designed to be released through powerful conversation and through healing work and through the combination of powerful conversation and hands-on healing work that i do and empowering people to upgrade their biochemistry and their hormonal patterns and their energetic field it's through these it's through these channels that the teaching comes alive and so when I'm thanking you, I'm thanking you deeply that it's through these conversations that what I'm here
1: for really comes alive. I appreciate that. It's a m- mutual appreciation. Well, David, I do need to move along with my day, and I'm sure you do as well. This has been really wonderful. Uh, and I thank you. I thank all the listeners as well. And I look forward to uh, hearing from you again in the future.
0: Thanks so much, Alex. So uh, we'll just close then with love and peace. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Dr. David here again. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I know I did. I think this was a particularly powerful interview, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to it several times so that it can reveal its blessings to you more and more with every day that passes. So until next time, this is Dr. David, and we'll close with love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com.